You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv news stories using future technology beamed backwards in time to enrich the Philistine masses of the 21st century to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV, and games. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, I have learned a lot of lessons from 80s movies. I've learned that revenge is a delicious dish. (laughs) Best served salty. Salty. (laughs) I have learned that uh, topless is always best. (laughs) Yes, this is is objectively true. Objectively, I think so. Uh, And I've learned that uh, parents are stupid and unnecessary burdens that ruin everyone's fun. (laughs) I I mean, that's still true. I'm I'm pretty sure, ask my son, like, you know... Oh, man. But it, it definitely seems true of the time, right? It's, and going yeah. into the 90s as well, there is certainly a trend of just feral, wild kids. You know? <laughs> feral children. Feral children. Every movie from the 80s is like just kids and teenagers just doing whatever. Like their parents are either not around, completely oblivious, ridiculously like gullible and fooled by the stupidest excuses, or they they just don't give a shit, you know? Yep. Um, to the point where I don't even, I'm just, this is off the top of my head, so I don't even remember what it's called, but I remember seeing some movie from the nineties where like a bunch of kids literally lock their parents in like the basement of their house. Cause they're like, dude, we're better off without you. <laughs> Here's some TV oh, dinners. Yeah. What you the know? fuck was that? <laughs> I remember that. I can't even remember what it's called. It was just off the top of my head, you know? Um, but I was thinking really specifically because of our topic this week about John Hughes movies. Mm-hmm. And these are like classic movies of the eighties, especially, but going into the nineties, because let's not forget, you know, he wrote home alone, but like in general, I think his movies are seen as like teen coming of age classics. There's stuff like, you know, 16 candles, pretty in pink, the breakfast club, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off is my personal favorite. I think, but then you, if you really look at these movies and it's like every one of those that I just mentioned is about a bunch of teenagers like on their own fucking off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And as an adult, they have some problematic aspects to them. Yes. We did not see as children. Yes, yes, 100%. I mean, you always hear people point at, like, Home Alone, for example, and it's like, Kevin McAllister would have murdered those robbers, (laughs) right? Right. We all just think it's hilarious, right? Or you look at the the vacation movies that John Hughes uh, wrote, uh, or he wrote and or inspired those movies. The original short story was based on a, you know, an anecdote from his childhood. Um, But yeah, it's like a lot of this shit that happens happens in those movies is like over the top, like, you know, lethal slapstick. Um, (laughs) But I think the worst movie in terms of like, kids just doing whatever they want and like completely going over the top with this whole like parents are useless idea is weird science. Mm-hmm. Now <laughs> ooh, we got to talk about, ooh, weird boy, we, we got to unpack some shit, <laughs> right? So right off the bat, 
1985. This is John Hughes. He wrote and directed it. So let me say that he wrote it, right? This was mm -hmm. before Breakfast at Tiffany's. And if I had the trivia correct, it's it's like the studio wanted a movie like this to be made. And they wanted him to do it. And they were basically like, look, if you do this, you can go do The Breakfast Club, you know, and you can you can do whatever you want with it. Did I just say Breakfast at Tiffany's a minute you ago? You did. I, I was I sitting there going, did he just say Breakfast at Tiffany's? I think he said Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes apparently in two days and just like dashes out this script about these two guys, teenage kids, who make a woman with their home computer to be cool at high school mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like okay that one sentence alone we have to stop and unpack but like it gets way worse than that <laughs> what women are property like <laughs> dude seriously like you can't land a girlfriend so you're like we'll just make our own like what is it hard <laughs> oh I, like i i Right off the bat, like right off the bat, can we just talk about how in the 80s and even into the 90s, computers are magic? Like, <laughs> yes. Like, did no one in Hollywood ever understand how a computer worked? Because like, it's like they believed the Internet was this weird living cyberspace thing that we mm. had tapped into in some way. And there was like guard portals and like evil skulls and like yeah. e equals mc squared floating in time and space like that's not real yeah it was like this weird magic right that's what it was it was yeah. this it, it was a technology that most average people in the 80s couldn't really explain or understand they had seen war games and just thought it was like <laughs> magic you know because right. <laughs> like when, when they're using the computer in this i couldn't stop laughing i'm like Okay, so let's look at this logically. What security force in the government took the time to program these animated firewalls? Yeah. You know, that like, oh, no, no, you can't do this. There's going to be an evil skull with swirly green eyes. And if you hit <laughs> the right combination of keys, bar animated bars will lock it away and then send you down the Twilight Zone tunnel where, like, doors and time is floating. And it's like, what the fuck am I looking at? Right? Yeah, exactly. So these these backing up just for a second, right? So these teenagers, they're Gary and Wyatt, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they're, like, nerds at school. They get picked on and bullied specifically by these guys, Max and Ian. Uh, Ian played by a very young uh, Robert Downey Jr., and uh, so they're going to have a sleepover and then they're watching The Bride of Frankenstein and Gary just gets this like light bulb over his head. And he's like, you know, like if we can't find our own girl, we'll just make one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, I, I have to back up for a second. Uh, Ian might not be having sleepovers, but Max is clearly having sleepovers because, you know, his buddy from Friday the 13th too, was, or for Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was sleeping over. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the 80s were just a different time. Maybe I just remember it differently. But I'm like, at a certain point, I was just like, I'm too old for sleepovers, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like once you hit like, like, I think like 14 is the is the is the, the swan song, you know, like around 14, it feels like that's when you kind of stop having sleepovers. Because, um, yeah, by 15, I don't think I was. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a lot to say about the ages of the people in this movie, right? So don't let me forget. I got to get back. Like, <laughs> like I, I've come with some receipts here. But <laughs> um, speaking of which, fifteen. That's how old Wyatt is. So Wyatt is fifteen 
in the movie and in real life. He is actually 15 years old. Uh, this actor, what's his name? Elon Mitchell Smith. And he is also suddenly or somehow this genius hacker who from his home computer with a dial up modem is hacking into these somehow some kind of government, you know, networks and doing like he's having like a hacker duel with some random guy sitting in a bunker somewhere while a bunch of like, you know, uh, tape machines are spinning and red and green lights are flashing. <laughs> and like you said, there's, there's all these weird like animations that exist and it's like, he's playing a video game. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's exactly so what crazy. it is. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's like, even in the eighties, you're like, come on, come on guys. Really? <laughs> Oh, man. So <laughs> I ain't going to lie. The first time I got on AOL, I was like, this is nothing like 80s movies. I know. I was like, what is this? You know? <laughs> I want to, like, break into my school computer and, like, change my grades. You know, right? <laughs> like Matthew Broderick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then but then they're, like, hooking up, like, car batteries and flashlights and just soldering random things together. And they, like, they, they put, like, a Barbie doll on some alligator clips and they make, like, a little shrine and they're wearing bras on their heads. Dude, there's a scene where they take a lighter to the edge of a car battery. What were they doing? Like, they I... light something on fire. It's like, what? What? <laughs> Exactly. And there was, that's in that same sequence. There's a scene where they literally like put some clips and wires on one end of oh I forget what voltage it is, but those those big square batteries. And he then he literally just wraps it around and clips it back onto itself, and it's right. not connected to anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's absurd. It's absolutely nuts, you know, and and of course they're, they're also like designing this woman, like to, which you know we have to talk about how problematic it is to just objectify women to such a degree to degree that they literally want to create an object that is a woman somehow. Well, that's the thing; they were literally clipping pieces of they were clipping like you know magazine covers, like they, they clipped Kelly LeBrock's head from like the Time yeah. Life magazine. Co- and like they were they were taking like legs from like a Playboy and all that. But l- again, let's just let's ignore the problems for a second and just look at the technological problems. So you're scanning these pictures that have other parts, like other images mm-hmm. in them. And like they scan a picture of Einstein and the computer knows, oh, let's put it to that's that's the brain they're scanning. This picture is telling me to make her smarter. Like, that is not how any of this works. <laughs> no. no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it was as an adult watching it. I was like, this is driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh. But like so much of the movie is just completely over the top. It's crazy how over the top it is. Right. Right up to mm-hmm. the like. In, even including like little things like right before the sequence where they decide to make a woman on their home computer, <laughs> uh, freaking Gary, uh, played by Anthony Michael Hall, he's in the bathroom just it's like he's shaving, but it's like the the shaving cream is like glue and he's just getting it everywhere, you <laughs> yeah. know, and it's like stuck to everything. He goes through like three <laughs> cans of it all in the sink just to shave off like the peach fuzz off of his upper lip. And then he just walks away like, <laughs> OK, I'm done. And the, the bathroom is a complete, you know, pigsty. <laughs> it's like, well, and, and why, why? Even says like he's like, don't make a mess in there. The maid doesn't come until Monday. So it's like right. they're just going to leave it for the maid to clean up. I was like, this is horrible. 
It is. Oh, and, that's, and that's another thing, too. Like, I never noticed watching this as a kid in the 80s. I just assumed that everyone would grow up and have these, like, big, amazing houses like you see in <laughs> right. Home Alone and this. And it's like, dude lives in, like, a freaking mansion. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. This house is huge. They have, like, a full-size, like, restaurant bar. And there's a scene later on in the movie where Wyatt is following Lisa around and, like, trying to, like, talk some sense into her. And they just keep going in and out of rooms and in and out of rooms. And I'm like, how many rooms are in this house? There was, dude, there was like four dining rooms in that sequence. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, yeah, just these houses are just gigantic. I, 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 I don't, I, I don't understand. But anyway, so, yeah, so they make this woman who, you know, the Kelly LeBrock, the beautiful model out of the magazine. And the first thing that she, that they, of course, the first thing that they want to do is like take a shower, but they're so like afraid of it because they're these dweebs, you know, they're dweeby mm -hmm. teenagers, you know, who couldn't talk to girls before, let alone know what to do with one. And then immediately this like fake woman that they made that they named Lisa, and then she's taking them to like a blues bar for some reason. <laughs> Why? Of all the places to go and all the things to do, they're going to go, like, drink cheap whiskey at a blues bar? <laughs> she likes malacas, Dino. <laughs> I guess so. Dude, I, I, the blues bar is one of those sequences that has stuck with me for years because of, I forget his name, but the actor, the, the, the older black dude with the stogie. He, oh, he shows yeah. up, mm -hmm, he shows up mm -hmm. in Terminator and a bunch yep. of other, like, 80s movies, but he's got that voice. And, yep. my God, where he's a word. Gary is talking about getting kicked in the nuts and he goes in the family jewels like that <laughs> sticks in my brain and it's oh my god I laugh every time I see it and then same thing with this like what, what's a pretty lady like you doing with a malaka like him and he goes <laughs> she likes malacas you know and then he goes <laughs> like that machine gun laugh cracks me up every time like so that sequence does make me laugh a lot I mean it's funny it's just it's so bizarre right it's oh, just it so, absolutely is. it's like what a what a strange choice <laughs> like yep. to, first you're gonna like you know this weird slapstick comedy you make this you decide to make a woman on a home computer and how ridiculous it was we just went through all of that and then what do you do with this fake woman you made you know she she bullies you into going to like this blues bar and then she just sits there and does nothing while yep. these two teenagers just get totally drunk just blitzed off their asses and then of course they go home and there's no parents there obviously like why would there be parents there uh, <laughs> oh by the way that guy's name is uh chino williams chino fat williams, williams. Uh, yeah. i love <laughs> I, that dude and then speaking of love that dude they do get back to the house and wyatt's older brother chet is there and i fucking <laughs> love bill paxton oh so much. god yes uh, it's <laughs> gone too soon that man was he was amazing oh definitely r.i.p bill paxton i love that guy uh, and, and then you have this another one of these like crazy 80s movies tropes are these like total asshole dickhead older siblings who bully the shit out of their younger siblings. Of course, you know, the parents don't do anything about it. Uh, and he's there just to be like a villain because the movie doesn't really have like a clear single villain. There's like three characters, I think, that like in individual sequences are like antagonists, but it's almost as if they just needed somebody else there to sort of ramp up the tension of why Wyatt is so uptight. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, Chet's also there just to be uh, some comic relief later on toward, at, the, at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, 
but yeah, not not to you know, I don't want to sit here and 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 go through the whole movie like scene by scene by scene. I just think that the way that it this opening sequence happens is so ridiculous and indicative of how bizarre the movie is. Um, but basically, what happens is, of course, the the boys wanted to make this fake woman because they couldn't get girlfriends and they wanted to like impress everybody at their school and like show her off. So they go to the mall and then they get bullied by uh, Ian and Max. And of course, everyone is infatuated with Lisa, you know, even Ian and Max's girlfriends, Deb and Hilly, you know? Yep. (laughs) And then Lisa wants to throw them a big giant party at their house. Um, And so everyone comes to this big party and it's just like, hijinks and hijinks and hijinks you know mm-hmm. it's so over the top not to mention the fact that lisa like goes to gary's house and like threatens her his parents <laughs> at gunpoint <laughs> after telling them about the the sex drugs and rock and roll party she's throwing their 15 year old son and this is actually the point in the movie when I was rewatching it recently that I realized like the sort of premise that I began this episode with, which is like the way that she talks to his parents about, hey, he's going to go to a party. He's going to get drunk. He's going to do drugs. He's going to have some like casual sex. You know, everyone's going to be naked and in their underwear. And it's going to be awesome. And of course, his parents are like, fuck, no, he's 16 years old. Are you kidding? Right. And she gets like indignant, not even because you know, she's trying to just be like, hey, it'll be fun. Like, no, her argument is he's a good kid. He studies, he works hard. Like, he deserves this. Like, he's a 16-year-old kid. You know, you're telling me that, like, his reward for doing his homework is, well, obviously, like, he needs, like, you know, some BJs from high school girls at a party where he's, like, drunk <laughs> off of his ass. Like, duh, you know? I mean, yeah. Like, how else do you spend a Saturday night? Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the sort of, sort of the whole premise of the movie is, like, well, of course they should be living this life, you know? Like, this is what they're missing out on. This is obviously what Max and Ian, the cool guys at school, they must be going out and drinking and having sex on the weekends. And they these guys should be able to do that, too. I feel like John Hughes had a very, like, skewed view of of what teenage maybe like he was a nerd in high school. And he's like, that's what I was missing out on. Right. Like that. That's the stuff that happened. That's what the cool kids did. Yeah, it must be. I think so, too, because you you see this in all the movies, right? You see this mm-hmm. in, like, 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink, you know? And even something like uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where the main character is the cool guy from school, but he's such an over-the-top, like, archetype, like, almost a superhero. Like, mm-hmm. John Hughes thought that this is what the cool guys are doing, you know, which is literally whatever they want. Yep. Um, so I want to back up a little bit before we kind of get into like, well, what should we talk about in terms of like, how, how would we handle weird science or like, what sort of story can we improv around it? Uh, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, or two actually, um, one is that, so this movie is partially based on a comic book. It is actually sort of a comic book adaptation. Uh, and it's because was it silver, Joel silver? I think that's the producer's name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he back in the eighties bought the rights to the EC comics catalog, the, uh, the film rights. And yep. 
Um, it was out of that that we eventually got stuff like the Tales from the Crypt TV show. And there were some other movies in the 80s that were adapted out of, you know, EC Comics. You know, and anyone who isn't familiar, you know, EC Comics with the publisher William Gaines, it was basically the company um, that published comics in the 40s and 50s that eventually led to the uh, the Comics Code Authority and like the self-censorship of the comics industry for decades afterwards because William Gaines' approach to comics was – sex cells, violent cells, crime cells, you know, and, you know, horror cells and yeah, all of those old school, you know, horror and science fiction and crime comics that you can probably think of right now, like Tales from the Crypt. Uh, those were all EC comics. Um, and I, I mean, he wasn't wrong to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, and these days he is seen as like an absolute like luminary in the comics industry. Like he's a legend, mm-hmm. uh, not only because he was an amazing writer who had um, so many great stories because he wrote a lot of them himself. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, just the way that he, uh, it was his father's company. Then he took over and his father was publishing, you know, what existed for comic books at that time in the thirties and the early forties, where it was like, you know, funny animal comics, you know, things like we would think of as like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, you know, comics. And there was like romance was just sort of kind of getting, uh, getting some headway in the industry, but it was all very family friendly stuff. This whole idea that comics are for kids very much was true originally because a lot of those comics were just, uh, reprinted like omnibus editions of stuff from the newspaper. Like, you know, people read the newspaper every single day and you take those strips and you put them together between two covers and there you go. You have the whole, you know, the whole story of Thimble Theater or Crazy Cat or whatever. And um, it wasn't until, you know, publishers started doing original, needing original material, they started seeing stuff like the superheroes we got, like with Superman, for example. But yeah, so it was William Gaines who was like, yeah, but if we put like, you know, blood and sex and violence and like cool science fiction stuff on the cover, you know, people will love it. And it was true. And he was the one, and now I'm on this diatribe about AC comics, but it was William Gaines who really made comics, not for kids anymore. And it was so successful that everybody of all ages and all stripes, uh, read comics throughout most of like the, the second half of the forties and through most of the fifties. Like I mean, when I say everyone, I mean like the, at housewives, like the average yep. people, because comics were just like magazines on the same racks on like the newspaper, you know, stands on the corners of the big cities or whatever. And everyone read these comics and it was, you know, comics didn't become for kids again until they were totally neutered by the comics code authority and everything became about superheroes like in the sixties. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> William Gaines was so good at what he did that he, he literally, there was like a congressional hearing to get him to stop. Because you know? <laughs> remember kids reading tales from the crypt will make you a homosexual commie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there might be some truth to that, but anyway. <laughs> But I always, uh, I always found that that funny that like when they were trying to talk about like the horrors of, of this, it's like yeah, they, they immediately thought you would become a communist and that you would turn gay. And it's like, what? How? How does that? How do you get that from that? Like, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's because fucking Frederick Wortham. That's a whole other story, right? Yeah. Frederick Wortham, this douchebag, like pseudo psychologist, wrote this uh, book called Seduction of the Innocent, you know, yep. in the and tried to convince everyone that like, look, so, you know, comic books are like ruining, you know, society. They're running your kids brains. And like, look, look at this Batman character. He's fucking this Robin dude, you know, <laughs> <laughs> 
of course, I didn't say that in the book, because you know, it was it, it was a more sophisticated time. <laughs> it was it was implied. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, I mean, to, to Wortham's, you know, uh, in his defense, a lot of the comics at the time were like pretty crazy and pretty over the top, and you know, oh, William yeah. Gaines had a lot to do with that. But you know, oh, I've it, read it, a lot of those old tales from the crypt. There's definitely some weird shit in them. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's the old, uh, sorry, it's the, the classic battle of like, you know, art versus censorship, you know, like what should they yeah. be able to do? And, you know, of course, Wortham came down on the side of censorship, obviously, uh, and William Gaines, you know, who, <laughs> you know, he famously like went to his like congressional hearing and just didn't give a fuck. You know? <laughs> it was it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and uh, if anyone is a fan of the cartoonist kayfabe uh channel on youtube and the jim rug and ed pisco the cartoonists who run that channel who i've mentioned on the show several times uh they did a series of episodes about you know that that history of comics and looking at wortham's side and Gaines's side and kind of you know the history around it and and their uh conclusion to the whole argument was to then print and sell a shirt in their uh in their online store that just says frederick wortham can eat a dick <laughs> <laughs> I like the way they think. <laughs> but anyway, before we went down this whole tangent, I was talking about how this movie, Weird Science, is an adaptation of a comic. The title comes from one of those EC comics, uh, yep. specifically called Weird Science. It came out in uh, 1950. Issue 5 is the one I'm talking about. And there is a story written by William Gaines, drawn by uh, Al Feldstein. Uh, and here, Mike, I, mean, I just sent you the link in the chat here if you want to check out. The, just be careful. That's a pirate site. So make sure you're at your ad blockers on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there's a story in there. It's the lead story because a lot of these two, all of these comics in the, the EC was putting out were like anthology titles, right? They'd be two, yes. three, or four short stories. Um, but this particular one, the lead story is oh, called. Oh yeah. It's called Made of the Future, <laughs> and it's a pun, right? It's M A D E. Mm-hmm. But also, of course, you think M A I D, right? It's Made of the Future. <laughs> so, so yep. this like. This very like square jawed, stereotypical like 1950s dude. Uh, his wife, who clearly must be a terrible person, she just like walks out on him one day, like leaves him, and he's you know he's distraught, and then he just happens to walk in amongst a group of people who are time travelers from the future, and they were on like a <laughs> They were on like a time tour, like visiting the past. And he just like sort of was like, oh, where these guys come from? And like goes back with them to the future, to the year 2150, where, you know, he gets there and he sees a sign for uh, it says lonely. A constructor wife kit will end your problems. Satisfaction guaranteed. Yep. (laughs) I'm looking at this now. This is crazy. He goes in and he's like, oh, that sounds great. You know, that, that's that's exactly what I need. Uh, actually, he says he stood paralyzed with amazement. <laughs> <laughs> he goes in and there's these women working in this and they're dressed like Genie from like I Dream of Genie, right? Yep. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what do you want? Like blonde, brunette, how tall, whatever. And they're like hanging on this dude at the same time. Like they're not just like sales ladies. Like they're hanging on him. Like they, they can't. They're so excited that he came into their store and they give him this kit in a box. He takes it back home 
to his own time in 1950. Like he sneaks back on the time tour again, goes back home and he, he puts all these ingredients in a fucking bathtub with some water. And like a woman grows out of the bathtub who immediately, <laughs> immediately like she gets out, she puts on one of these like genie outfits and then she becomes his like, you know, doting like servant of a wife. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, this is like super fucked up. Like this dude's wife leaves him and he's like, the solution is I'm just going to make my own. You just whatever the fuck I tell you to do. Yep. <laughs> But, but I, I love the twist ending where he comes home one day and there's like a note where she's like, oh, see, ya. I went out to the city to go for dinner and she never comes back. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is nuts. <laughs> so, you know, that like Joel Silver or whoever, like he sends this comic book to John Hughes and was like, I need a script ASAP. Make me something out of this. And then you can make that, that little, uh, you know, pet project of yours, that breakfast club. So John Hughes spends two days hammering up a script of all the nonsense bullshit that we just said. And it's like, this was his inspiration. Like, like, uh, you know, my wife sucks. I'm just going to make a new one, you know, like what the (laughs) hell? (laughs) What the fuck? This movie is so problematic. And like, we haven't even mentioned the fact, first of all, okay, uh, how like pedophilic the movie is, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've mentioned the fact that Wyatt is literally 15, Gary is literally 16. But this woman that they make, Lisa, do you know how old Lisa is? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how old she is, but she definitely looks like an adult. Well, at one point they mentioned that she's 23. That could have been like a cover story because it was when they were bragging to Hilly and Deb, the the girls they have a crush on at school. But in real life, Kelly LeBrock was 25 years old at the time. So I, I did the math, right? I told you I, I did the receipts. I did the math, right? I wrote down everyone's birthday. I did the math. I figured out that they started filming in October of 1984. The movie comes out in 1985. So in October of 1984, Anthony Michael Hall is actually 16, like his character. Elon Mitchell Smith is actually 15, like his character Wyatt. Uh, Bill, Bill Paxton's the oldest one in the, in, the, in the cast. He's 29, and he's probably supposed to be playing like a college guy. Um, right. And even Deb and Hilly, these girlfriends that they're crushing on, that they, they're they both 20 years old in real life. No, actually, Deb is 22. Um, but let's not forget the fact that on screen, these 16 and 15-year-old boys totally make out with the adult women and mm-hmm. filmed in the movie. Not only with Kelly LeBrock, but with uh, Suzanne Snyder and Judy Aronson, who played Deb and Hilly. And I'm like, that is so fucked up. First yep. of all, that John Hughes wanted to write that, and then they they filmed it, and back in the eighties, this was considered to be a totally normal thing, and it was a hit movie that you know people of our generation think of as a classic. I was thinking of it as a classic, Same. and I go to I go to watch it recently, and I'm like, ah, oh, why did we do this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So well, and I mean, my... it, again, it's the whole times change. You know, we we and and we grew up. You know, but but yeah, it is it is questionable how this shit got to be made back in the day yeah it's it's crazy and it's like it's like icky you know and yeah. uh the whole time now if kelly lebrock had never actually kissed um elin mitchell smith or the wyatt character i could have maybe gone with it right like because she's right. just this 
ideal perfect woman to them right she's uh like a paragon of a woman um and she's gonna take them out to party and have fun and get them to loosen up and lighten up and i think that those are actually good lessons to have like lighten up a little bit you know unclench your butthole a little bit (laughs) um have a little bit of fun have some confidence in yourself like there are some lessons some positive ones to take away from the movie but then it's like she's going to do that by like making out with them and like showering with them and all this like really like sort of like, you know, uh, explicit sexual talk. So if they had cut that out, I probably could have been okay with it. Like I would have been okay, fine. Like we don't need to have it be so explicit, but then even with like, again, the girlfriends, like they kiss these, these girls and like, I don't know about you, but like when I was 22, I I didn't want to kiss like a 16 year old. Like that would have been weird. No, no, so weird so yeah I, I definitely got the ick the ick factor from mm-hmm. from watching the movie so you know big trigger warning is probably it's too late for any of that but if you're listening to this <laughs> and you haven't seen it or you're thinking to yourself yeah i haven't watched that in a long time let me go check it out yeah you know maybe just think twice about it <laughs> yeah it it very much falls into the category of revenge of the nerds where it's like this movie that at the time you know we watched we all laughed at we thought was funny we kind of looked past the really fucked up aspects of the movie and didn't really take into it, you know, take it into account. And in this one, it's like very much the same thing. Like keep in mind, Lisa was going to have sex with Wyatt. Like that was going to mm-hmm. happen in the movie. He fell asleep. Yep. That's the only reason he didn't fuck her was because he fell asleep. And she yep. even like kind of said like next time, you know, like try to stay awake type of thing. Like I forgot her yep. wording, but was like, you know, I was five minutes into my gymnastics routine when you fell asleep. I ended up doing my nails. And it's like, so you were going to fuck the kid. <laughs> or maybe the gymnastics routine is like a euphemism and like they had already begun and dude got whiskey dick and passed out, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he was drinking too. So Yeah. So it, it's just, it's it's messed up. It's definitely messed up. So yeah. I think if we're going to improv like something that we can add to the canon, again, very much like Revenge of the Nerds, um, I feel like first we have to kind of fix it. We have to kind of demonstrate. I mean, I know I just mentioned like, don't have it be so explicit, but like maybe we could take a minute to be like, okay, what could we specifically have done to make the movie work better and still have the same positive lessons of like, you know, not objectifying women and not relying on people to like give you self-worth, but to have some confidence in yourself. I think we could deliver the same message by sort of fixing the movie and then I'll feel better about it. And then we can improv our own thing, (laughs) you know, and like do a sequel or something. Yeah, I I definitely would like to do a sequel, but I think that that's already kind of been done with the television show. Now, like, I don't remember the television show 100%, but I did watch it like religiously when it came out. And it was it was kind of like uh, the From Dusk Till Dawn television show where it's like mm-hmm. they just kind of remake the movie and then like do a show based on it. Um, so Weird Science, it's same concept, same thing. But Lisa in the show was first of all, she was more like a genie, yep. like she would kind of grant wishes and she was not going to fuck them. They wanted to fuck her, but she did not want to fuck them. <laughs> so that yeah. was a very, like, very clear cut relationship with them where they kept trying to, uh, you know, get in her pants and she wasn't having any part of it. So that is at least a little bit of a fix where it's like the, if the two of them are like all horned up because, oh, she's so pretty, you know, and we're horny teenagers. And she's just like, yeah, no, 
<laughs> like I'll help you. I'll help you get some confidence, but you ain't fucking me. Like that type of thing is yeah. is, is an immediate necessary fix. I think I think you're totally right, and I think that's probably all that would need to be done. We probably don't need to do what we did with Benjamin Lurds and actually go back and do like a quick little mini improv. Like I think you nailed it. It's just a matter of like the movie would have been so much better if Lisa had just come out and been like, "Okay, guys, what do you want to do?" And they were like, you know, Aruga, like, you know, like let's get in the shower. <laughs> and then she was just like, "Whoa, slow your roll, hang on," you know, in whatever you know, '80s slang of the time, you know, right. and was just like, "Oh, I'm not here for that." And of course, they'd be really disappointed because they were like, "Oh, well, we made this like, you know, like big boobed, like perfect woman, you know, to come and be our girlfriend." And she's just like, "No, like, I'm not your girlfriend. Like, we're gonna get you some girlfriends." And the whole movie would have taken on like a different, uh, it would have had a different like atmosphere to the whole thing. You know, it would have been yeah. more about like, let's get you guys girlfriends rather than like, I'm your personal sex toy. Well, and keep in mind like what Lisa or, or what uh, Gary says before they even make, uh, make Lisa is like why it's like it's a computer. It's not flesh and blood. Like, what do you want? to? he's like, yeah, but we can like we can ask her stuff. We can find out what girls want. We can do mm-hmm. like so if they had have just kept with that, where it's like they make this woman and she basically it's like she gives them the the insight to what women truly want type of thing mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, unpacking the mysteries of the opposite sex. Yep. If that was the, the shtick of the film where it's like, I'm here to be your guide on how to be a better man and get, you know, get a woman to like you. Mm -hmm. That would have made sense. She's teaching nerds how to be cool versus, oh, I'm here to be your gymnastic sex slave. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, no, that's, they make a good point too. And just, and sort of being like this sort of like, you know, women coach, right? Like Mm -hmm. let's take, take away the mystery and the mystique of like, ooh, like girls are so mysterious and weird. And like, and she's like, no, like I'm right here. Like, look at me. Like, let's, you know, ask questions here. Like, you know, sit down and do some homework. And there could have been some funny moments where they were like, you know, oh, come on, Lisa. And she's like, no, like, you know, like you guys want to, you know, some girlfriends, you got to like, you know, understand what girls want and what they need and how they work, you know? And of course, you know, because she's, you know, very blunt and she could be like, you know, do you even know what a clitoris is or whatever exactly. and say stuff like that, you know, <laughs> and maybe that even that probably would have even been a little bit more like sexually explicit than I would have been comfortable with like 15 year olds. But in the 80s, I think it would have been still at that point, it would have been like a compromise, you know, to fix right. the movie without it being so blatant. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's funny about you mentioned the TV show because I never watched it because I was at a point at that uh by then in the late 90s it ran from 1994 to 1998 and i was at a point where i was like oh like i'm too old for this so this is stupid like you know <laughs> See, i <laughs> loved it <laughs> i think i I'd, I'd, I'd been burned too many times by too many like really horrible attempts to turn a movie into a tv show you know mm-hmm. um but that movie or that show ran for 88 episodes i was really shocked to find that out when i was looking up trivia before we started here like 88 episodes like jesus um and but there was one thing that I read that I really sort of zeroed in on in terms of like, OK, like there's something here is you mentioned that Lisa was more like a genie. And I would contend that she literally straight up was a genie because I right. was reading some trivia about the show. And uh, there was apparently there was one episode where she literally like leaves town and goes to find some other genies to hang out with. And they're like literally genies like dressed like, again, genie from I Dream of Genie, like like the ladies in this weird comic, you know, and it's like. 
so that's an interesting twist to the whole concept that they didn't make Lisa. They conjured her. And I almost kind of like the idea of like, you know, there's these genies who, you know, kind of like take wind or they get wind of some crazy hijinks going down and they take pity on these two losers who have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> performing like a ritual with a Barbie doll and bras on their heads. And they're just like, oh, honey, you need some help. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> they take pity on these two losers and they send Lisa to go like you know set them straight and i feel like if that approach too makes the whole thing so much more i think interesting but also like way less problematic right well okay okay so if we were going to improv a sequel uh to the movie we got um i have some ideas and i feel like uh again because i know i always do this it would go dark uh <laughs> Because I, I I can't help myself, <laughs> damn it. Um, but there was a few things I noticed in, in this film that I, I, I somehow didn't notice on previous viewings. I think it's just the whole watching it critically thing. Uh, Lisa's magic has a time limit. Um, mm, it, okay. It it goes away. It deteriorates. So like if if you look at like the the cars she fabricated, they disappeared. Yeah. You true. know. The, the destruction from the party, it disappeared. You know, Chet turning into the giant shit pile, which, by the way, we didn't mention that. But my God, that weird puppety <laughs> thing scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. Like, it was so damn creepy looking. Yeah, it was supposed to be funny, but oh, my God, it was so creepy. It was nightmare <laughs> fuel. Um, but, but yeah, in, in that scene, too, Lisa even says to him, like, oh, chill out. It just takes a little while for things to wear off. Right. So here's here's my idea. Like, I, I just started kind of playing with the thoughts of like, OK, well, she's kind of reminding me of a clone in the sense of a lot of like clone stories. And even in, in reality, when we try to clone things, there's like a faster deterioration rate uh, than than, you know, just like actual life. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, what if and kind of kind of go with me here for a sec. What if Lisa herself begins to deteriorate? So, okay. and it starts, it starts mentally. Like she starts breaking almost like she's going crazy. Now she, she leaves at the end of the movie. She's off to like live her life and coach teenage boys in high school, whatever. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause of course she's, she's got a thing for 15 year olds clearly. Um, oh, God. but exactly. But what if she starts to deteriorate and like, she starts seeing the world differently um, and she knows she has limited time. Now, think about how she taught lessons. So she wanted to teach Gary and Wyatt some lessons like so like, oh, you're not cool. Let me take you to this fucking blues bar where you're going to be like you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. You're going to be ridiculed and let's make you fit in. Oh, you, you, you're not cool with your friends. Let's force you to have a party where people are going to not know who the fuck you are and make fun of you. You know, oh, you, you're not enjoying yourself at the party here. Let me summon a fucking Mad Max gang and force <laughs> you to fight them back at gunpoint. Like, so she had a very odd view of how to teach a lesson. So my thought process is if she starts deteriorating, like her, her, you know, her, her mental stability is falling apart. She's looking at mankind as a whole and realizing how fucked we are. Like, mm -hmm. look at the atrocities that mankind has done. Like, oh, my God. Like, it's like we need to wipe the slate. We need to start over. We need a fresh start. And again, with her way of teaching a lesson and knowing that she's falling apart, 
she triggers World War Three. <laughs> so she's like, fuck it, launch the nukes. Like, so she uses her magic instead of conjuring a nuke. She uses her magic to launch nukes, which triggers like it's like a domino effect. So yeah. now, like everyone's fucking fighting. There's chaos like she's dying out. But like she knows that mankind will start over. So like okay. her last things that she's doing is forcing the world into chaos. <laughs> That's crazy. No, I like I like it too. She she's basically she's gonna trigger the global thermonuclear war that mm-hmm. was prevented in war games, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I, I do love this idea too of her deteriorating. And I'm not thinking of it in my head like her, you know, aging and becoming like old and decrepit. Uh, no. I'm just thinking it more almost like she's fading away, you know, and uh, she's trying to like do whatever she can with her time left on Earth before she fades away. And you started mentioning her kind of go off and going off and doing stuff. And I think it'd be interesting if, yeah, what if she just like she leaves the party and, you know, she goes to, you know, the mall or into the city or whatever. And she starts um, almost like doing like little like mini wishes or little little mini corrections. Like she's walking down the street and she sees, you know, somebody like harassing like a girl in a dark alley. And then she's just like, you know, boob and, you know, turns him into, you know, like uh, like a fire hydrant that a dog pisses on, you know, whatever. Like something right. like it's like these little like karmic spells, you know, as she's sort of walking down the street and it's just getting worse and worse. And you see this expression on her face where she's like oh god another one like i can't walk 10 feet without seeing you know some bullshit right some people treating other people wrong um and yeah and i i i I like where you're going with this and we can kind of you know transition like right from the end of this movie at the beginning of the the next one kind of like credit kid part two that picks up you know like a few minutes later right and uh and then right right as she maybe she like looks at her hands and this back to the future kind of way she's like fading away and just decides like you know you know she looks sort of looks at the camera and she's like well fuck it you know <laughs> and and uh you know to your point like she she uh she magics you know uh the the missile that was like in their house like you know actually into the air it goes to the, the soviet union the soviet union launches the nuke back you know there's like nukes in cuba or whatever like mm-hmm. and before you know it the whole world is fucking destroyed and lisa like she, as she's fading away she's like you know she had some pithy one-liner i can't think of right now but like you know i guess we'll see if they figure it out you know or whatever and right. uh <laughs> And then we have this whole montage, right? With this, uh, uh, we gotta get. And Danny Elfman writes some new song for the movie that's like both, you know, happy and fun that you can dance to it, but it's really creepy sounding at the same time. Right. <laughs> it's Tim Burton before Tim Burton. Yeah, um, exactly. But no, like, I, like I kind of like the idea of okay, so she she triggers us, and she's kind of like, like I said, she's she's losing it. Um. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, for some reason, Shermer, Illinois is is okay. Like it's it's yeah. chaos, but it, it didn't get hit by a nuclear nuclear fallout. Um, so like shit's destroyed. They go out like Gary and Wyatt try to f- desperately try to find Lisa to be like she can fix this. Like she has magic, she can fix it. So we have maybe they find her, but her powers are gone at that point. Like she's deteriorating to that point. Like before she disappears, you know, she like tells them like you have to be the heroes that I know you can be. And then she mm-hmm. she fucking she croaks or she disappears or fades into stardust, whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Gary and Wyatt, the two fucking loser nerds from the first movie, have to figure out 
how the hell can we help mankind? <laughs> so imagine the two of them like trying to build like a utopia in Shermer, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this idea. I love this. Yeah, no, this is perfect, right? Yeah, so after Lisa goes on her little walkabout, like what if she goes back, she sort of appears back in the house, to your point, and her last action is to tell these guys, like, you know, like it's up to you, you know, you, you've, like you've saved your own lives and now you can like save everybody else, right? Or or teach everyone else the lesson that you learned. And yeah, I, 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 I want her to disappear because, um, and go away because, you know, spoiler, like I want the boys to have to find her later. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I I have an idea for this, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to it. I don't want, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I do love this idea. Like, yeah, she sets off the missile uh, that, you know, again, if you haven't seen the movie, like during this party, they, they end (laughs) up, you know, they try to make another girl just like Lisa and uh, Gary, Gary and white end up summoning a fucking like ICMB, you know, fucking (laughs) missile that comes up to the center of their uh, house. Um, Yeah. She also triggers this like war, but yeah, I love this idea that Shimmer, Illinois somehow is like escapes and it becomes this weird, um, oasis where the whole rest of the country is like you know irradiated <laughs> and it's like this uh, mad max mutant you know world where the vernon wells and uh what's yes. his name? Uh, michael uh, berryman michael berryman yep yeah like we can even have it be le- that like when they came to the party these like mad max barbarian guys like maybe they, they actually came like from this like alternate future so they sort of exist in this world right, right. <laughs> and uh um, but in Sherman, Illinois, yeah, like Gary and, and Wyatt, they kind of have to like nut up and, and sort of like lead the way and kind of, you know, tell everyone else to calm the fuck down. Cause they've seen some shit at this point. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so their sort of like threshold for weirdness is a lot higher than everybody else's. And, you know, we do this all the time. We do it with, with like Freddie and Jason. We do it with like, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. We always find some way to like tie shit together, but how cool would it be if there were like, you know, the breakfast club characters and Ferris Bueller and all these other characters <laughs> who are course. like, who actually, I'm not sure if Ferris Bueller is actually from Shermer, but all these other characters, that John Hughes wrote that live in Shermer, Illinois, because um, that, that was sort of like his, you know, his epicenter for all of his stories. Like Stephen mm-hmm. King puts everything in Maine. It'd be funny if we had at least some cameos, right? We got to get like Matthew Broderick oh, yeah. in there and like Emilio Estevez. You know, I can do Emilio Estevez would be a badass, like post-apocalyptic, like uh, like scavenger dude, like all mm-hmm. grizzled and shit. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. I think like the movie should be mo- mostly about like people trying to survive and like building this utopia. So yeah, we have like Gary, maybe Gary, Gary and Wyatt's like home, like their street is untouched. So like all these people are like flocking there because it's like, Holy shit. Like there's still houses here. (laughs) Like whatever, whatever the reason is, but like, they're trying to like, kind of keep thing like almost like keep the, keep the powder keg down. Like Mm -hmm. they know everybody is tense. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody is like, you know, their whole life has, their whole lives have been, uh, you know, thrust into upheaval. So they're kind of trying to like, they've almost like taken the reins and no one is questioning it just yet. And of course we're going to have to have the, the upset where it's like, well, how come you guys are in charge? Like, you know, I'm the strongest, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to have to have those types of fights. And then like Gary and Wyatt will have to like, you know, like you said, they'll have to nut up and kind of be like, you know, no, we have to work together type of, you know, and, and show true leadership. Mm -hmm. But I think that the antagonist of the film, like you'd mentioned the Vernon Wells, like Mad Max characters. And that's exactly what I was thinking is having them like come back and realize like, wait, how come these little rich punks still have it good in the end of the, in the end of the world? Like, fuck them. Let's raid them. 
And so now you're going to have like the fucking Shermer, Illinois gang, like going up against <laughs> Mad Max style mutants on motorcycles. Yeah, dude, I think that's amazing. Um, and, and of course, Max and Ian need to they're like the lieutenants to Gary and Wyatt. Like they do a total flip flop, right? Because they're mm-hmm. bullies, they're popular kids, but they don't have any actual life skills. They don't have any coping skills whatsoever. We see that in the movie. Like they're just yep. running, running from everything. And I think it would be really funny if like we, we, we can maybe we even jump ahead a little bit. I don't know how how many years ahead, right? not too long, right? Not like decades, yeah. but like, you know, maybe a year or two later and we see, you know, Gary and Wyatt are kind of in charge of this little, uh, this little oasis town. And yeah, they, they've got, Ian and Max, like, you know, uh, following him along, you know, kind of like, you know, <laughs> their little, their little second in command guys. But yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. And they're sort of putting this like little community together. Of course they live on this rich street with these giant mansions. So yep. every house is like full of people like refugees. Um, yeah. And that exactly right. The Bernie Wells and Michael Berryman, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of roll back up and they're like, Hey, wasn't this the house, you know, from, <laughs> yeah. from the party, you know, <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, I mean, like we can have this whole thing like we can we can turn this into like a, a, like a, as weird as it sounds, a comedic Mad Max where it's like we have these people like trying to do stuff like grow their own food in like in like these rich looking like gazebo style backyards. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, they've of turned course. like I was gonna say they have like hydro uh, hydroelectric power, like with a water wheel and a pool, you know, yeah. shit like that. <laughs> Yeah, of course, all these like rich suburban moms would have like greenhouses in the backyard, you know. Of course. Of course they would. Uh, yeah, and I think it'd be great. And I took, honestly, I I don't even know like what the actual plot would be other than like you know the 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 John Hughes Shermer Illinois crew versus yeah the Mad Max barbarians, <laughs> um, but. What I was thinking in terms of like Lisa coming back, and if you have a plot idea, obviously throw it in here. But my only real idea for this is that, you know, the lesson here that they're trying to learn from Lisa is that they don't need her, right? That they can do all this on their own. All they really needed was some confidence. And, you know, this sort of like last minute, like desperate stroke that Lisa threw in here was sort of like her, again, using her her inane logic to just be like, look, you know, if I force them to face their problems, they'll then, you know, they'll they'll nut up. And now she's doing it to like the whole country, the whole world. (laughs) Right. Um, but I feel like at some point they have to come to like a crossroads. That's why I want to not only I want to skip some time because it gives us a chance to kind of show what their post-apocalyptic new reality is like and have the characters be a little bit older. I, w- I would like them at least be to be legal, you know, yeah. um, but there has to come a point where some time has passed and there's something that becomes desperate. I don't know what that is. Let's figure it out. I don't know if it's because they're running out of food or because the Vernon Wells barbarians are there and like maybe they lose the battle and get kicked out of their house like you know the lord general which is apparently what vernon wells's character is called in the credits you know he sort of takes over and and kicks everybody out and now they're like you know wandering the irradiated wasteland but whatever it is the point is i want it to sort of be like a journey like we have to like we need Lisa. We need Lisa to like, you know, do her magic and like fix everything. Like she fucking did cause this, like, let's make her fix it. And so there's some MacGuffin where it's like, we have to go to this place and get whatever thing we need to like, you know, reach to sort of uh, maybe they're trying to maybe piece together all the, the different things that they had for the experiment. Like we have to go find a computer, mm-hmm. we need to find a Barbie doll. We need to find the bras for our heads, you know, whatever. And they're going to, so it becomes a sort of like fetch quest, you know, and, 
uh, all the way. They're like, you know, they're fighting off the barbarians or whatever. And the point is, I want them to kind of like get to that point where they have to get Lisa back. And like, that's sort of like the movie needs a journey or, or yep. they need some kind of a MacGuffin that they have to go after. You're almost exactly at what I wrote here. Um, like very, very fucking close. Cause what, what, like where I was going to have this go is that, yeah, I, I didn't think of them getting kicked out. I was thinking like almost like a Lord of the Rings style quest. Like we need, we need tech. So we're going to go out into the wasteland. But I like this idea that they lose. Like maybe like it looks like they're, they're building up this little utopia. Like they've taken people into their houses. Everything's fine and dandy. Then you get the fucking Mad Max army at the gates with Lord Humongous and all that. Like, just walk away. You know, that whole thing. Um, so you get all the Mad Max <laughs> army come in and they, and they kick them out. So now they're like thrust out into the wasteland. And yeah, to your point, they're like, we need Lisa. We have to, we have to fix this. So they go off into the irradiated, irradiated wasteland. They're fighting off like mutants and madmen and scavengers and all that. And maybe, yeah, they have a few other guys. They have, maybe they have Ian and Max with them and they're like, they're almost like the scared comic relief, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's like, so they have a few other people along the way. And like, you know, we could have like crazy 80s style shit. Like there's mutant dogs or some kind of like monster or whatever. But eventually. Oh, they... oh, oh, I'm sorry. I got, I got oh, to throw this in here. They have. To, so because Ferris Bueller doesn't actually like live in Shroomer, at least I don't think he does. Um, there has to be at some point where they come across like a house in the wasteland. And then there's this whole like Rube Goldberg device, weird security system all set up outside. And it's because <laughs> it's like fucking like Ferris's fortress in there. And, you know, of course, that's what he had. Right. He was always building these weird gadgets to like <laughs> right. trick people. So he's in there like, you know, like he's like like he's not coming out for nothing because he's got he's got all kinds of cool stuff in there like you know computers and everything and of course they want some of that but like they have to get through his like freaking like uh his like death gauntlet (laughs) (laughs) there's like a little flag on top of the house that says save ferris you know (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that'd be so good That'd be yeah. per- perfect for the audience where like, it's like this like dusty wind is blowing and like, you know, Gary and Wyatt, they come up in the house and you know, they, they're like, Oh look, he's got like, you know, generators and power and blah, blah. And they're like, what's that on the roof? And then you, of course you zoom in and then the wind blows and then the flag catches the wind and it's safe Ferris. <laughs> like it's a freaking like that's it's the, it's the nation of St. Ferris. <laughs> oh dude, dude, dude. Okay. So yeah, we do all that. Right. But we have them like go through the, the like, like you said, the gauntlet we have like, very home alone style like death traps <laughs> yeah you know and they have, <laughs> yeah they have to fight their way through it they make their way upstairs they get to to where they you know they see the they, maybe they see the generators like on the outside of the house or something like where there's lights maybe they're, yeah that's yeah. what it is. there's there's lights. lights so they're like holy shit he has power so they make mm-hmm. their way to it they get inside and yes there's like there's like a singular room in the house but like the rest of the house is fucking torn to shit filled with traps and there's a singular room in the house where it's still lit up. There's generators running and there's just three skeletons wearing the clothes. Oh, like shit. Ferris, his girlfriend and freaking I can't think of his name, but his friend. Cameron. Yeah. Cameron, thank you. They're all just laying there dead in, the, in the, like, you know, skeletons of them. But the point I was trying to get to is that they eventually do. Yes, they try to recreate and we get the whole, you know, weird science. We get the whole thing of them <laughs> remaking Lisa and and bringing her back into existence, but it's like Lisa 2.0. Like you know, yeah. maybe maybe she looks a little bit different. Like it's clearly not the same Lisa. And then like you know, they they try to wish her or have her fix everything, like wish her or wish the world back to normal. And then like I don't know if we want to have Lisa like like a narrator or something and be like they learned nothing. <laughs> Just basically 
Like, oh, like yeah. they literally started <laughs> over again. Nobody learned a damn thing. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I love this, but I think we can work this right into the story, right? So I don't think we really need the narration. I think this is awesome. Yeah. So again, they kind of go on this little like fetch quest. They got to grab a couple of things, right? Maybe they're going to go to like Deb or Hilly's house because their old house because they like, oh, we got like some Barbies there, right? Whatever, right? So they're going right, to right. they're going to collect some stuff. They got bar, you know bras and Barbies and batteries. They collect a whole bunch of batteries. Maybe they're maybe we see them like their whole crew like harvesting like car batteries, and so then then. They They've got this like little uh, tent uh, set up somewhere where they're trying to like, okay, we're going to recreate everything. We collect everything we need. And like the batteries just aren't enough. And that's when they end up going to like uh, Ferris's house because they're like on a hunt for more power, more power, Um, which which we we saw that in the original movie too. Like, you know, they were, they were adding the batteries and stuff and and, and they broke into the government computer because they were like trying to get like computing power as well. Yeah. So I think that that, that'd be hilarious that they have to go through this whole gauntlet. They finally get in there. We're expecting them to face off against Ferris and they're just, you know, like, (laughs) They, uh, I don't know, Ferris, he was so used to just his life being easy. It's almost like it would have been like a triple suicide or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> exactly. We don't, we don't really need to explain it. But, yeah, I think they do. They pull off the the ritual. They bring Lisa back, and they're so excited. Of course, she shows up in the doorway and does that thing where she leans on, like, the, the door jam, and there's that, like, pink purple light shining behind her, and, and she's in her, like, little skimpy underwear. And they're so excited. And... I think right from the get-go, the audience should be like, wait a second, something's not quite right. Like, she just has to be, like, a little bit unhinged, right? Like, just not, like, obviously, but, like, she comes out of that doorway and she, like, brushes right past, you know, like, one of the boys and maybe goes over to one of the other characters and, you know, just, like, she just goes and plants a big old kiss on Deb for, like, no reason. You know what I mean? It's just something where it's like, wait a second, like, it's just – there's there's something illogical and strange about this and she's always been a little erratic but this is like weirder um but of course they're so happy and they're like oh you got to help us you got to save us like you know <laughs> lord general and humongous like you know took over the house and we got to get our stuff back and and of course the viewers like we're immediately realizing that like they've learned fucking nothing because all they did was go back and like get their little security blanket, their little genie back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, but they don't, they're not realizing that in the moment. So Lisa's going to have to teach it to them. So what I'm picturing is they do, they go back to like the house and Lisa, just, it, it'd be this really cool, like, you know, almost like this big dramatic, um, like very satisfying moment where it's like this, this they, they kind of, uh, Lisa is the head of this like army coming in like formation, like out of the, the, you know, the blowing sand and, you know, just coming up on the house and, you know, Lord General and Humongous or whoever inside. And they're like, they're preparing for battle. And Lisa's just going to walk up and like, I dream of Jeannie, like twinkle her nose and like, boom, the fucking dude explodes. You know? Right. <laughs> and like the doors are blowing in and and she's just like and she's jerking her head around in this very like sort of erratic manner you know uh and just like like using like carry powers to just like you know tear the place apart like ripping that one dude that had like the metal half of face and she like tears it off of his face yes it's just like brutal like it, it sort of re- reduces to this like horror moment uh and of course gary and white and everyone else like they're they're, they think it's amazing. This is like their, their triumphant return, and you know they take back over the house. But this is where things get really even darker because now that they're in the house, they've taken over, and then we see these dumb little things. You know, like one, some, let's say it's Max, like some random character. You know, 
who uh, he sees like, you know, I don't know, he sees, maybe he sees Deb, you know, pick up something like, you know, oh, I've been like, wait, I've been wanting real food and like, oh, it's a, you know, loaf of bread or something. And then Max just like snatches it from her like, haha, sucker, and takes a bite. Lisa sees that injustice and it's just like, boop, and like just, you know, winks him into like he now he's like a cloud of flies or something just like oh fuck you know like just right just just takes punishment on him immediately and then we start to see that happen more and more like these stupid tiny little injustices or these tiny little selfish moments where somebody calls somebody else a jerk and then she's just like bam your head explodes like in skin <laughs> <laughs> nice and 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 very quickly now that they're back in the house like now Wyatt and Gary are like whoa you know they're 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 on like you know walking on eggshells around Lisa like trying not to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing like they have you know they've conjured her back to be their savior but it's almost like they've opened like Pandora's box you know they've they've yep. summoned something that they don't know what it is like they can't control it um and so it just gets to be this really like tense tense moment um what anthology movie is it where there's this little kid who can like control reality and like he has this whole family around him where he's Twilight like, Zone. is that what it is? He's like forcing yeah. his family to like love him. That's yep. exactly like the vibe that I'm thinking here with Lisa. It's like, you know, everybody is so afraid to do anything cause she's just going to like blink them out of existence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and basically, like the, the the end game, the point of all of this is that at, at a certain point, when fucking everybody is dead except for like Gary and Wyatt, you know, Lisa just turns to them and it's just like, "You didn't learn anything, did you? You didn't learn a goddamn thing." And then she just disappears and just leaves him there. <laughs> oh shit! That got dark. <laughs> and it's funny because like you went in the opposite direction. I thought I was gonna go dark because I was thinking like you know, oh, the, the whole, like, apocalypse thing, but then it ends with, like, the upbeat music, and they're bringing Lisa back to f- to save them, and it's just, like, credits, but yeah, no, I like this better. Like, <laughs> this went a dark place, and I love like, it. The camera would pan out, and it would just be Gary and Wyatt, like, left alone in this big, giant house. Everybody is either, like, com- dead, like, or, like, mutilated, or gone, or transformed into, like, a frog, <laughs> and the camera just pans way back, and back, and back, and back, and you see just this desolate way wasteland going in every direction and then you know like credits roll weird science (laughs) (laughs) i I thought when you you were gonna say like she disappears and we pan out and we see they're still wearing bras on their head but you know (laughs) well yeah i mean we should definitely do that anyway (laughs) that's a great twist (laughs) that would be awesome and see that would fit in with the its namesake with the way the weird science comics went because all of those old EC books had that type of thing where it's like, oh, you know, you, you be careful what you wish for. Like that was like the message in all of those books where it's like you're going to do this thing that you think you really want to do. But aha, you're not expecting this to happen. And then some bad shit happens to him. It's always karmatic. Like, you know, and, and, and I love this because that actually that actually fits its namesake. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think it's I think it's great, and I think just as like an evolution of the story, showing Lisa, who really was kind of a crazy, unhinged weirdo, like and just <laughs> you know, kind of showing her like go to the next level and sort of become like the villain. Like you think that she's going to be the savior, and then you know to just kind of kind of turn it around and turn the tables like that. I honestly don't know 
how else you could do a sequel to this movie without some kind of weird twist like that. You have to throw some kind of wrench into the works. Otherwise, it would just be so formulaic. You'd get the same old, same old. Oh, yeah. Well, let's be honest. If this actually came out in the 80s, what we would get is weird science, too, where it would just be two new characters doing the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Or it would be like, you know, now it's like in like college, right? Where it'd either be yeah. the same two characters or two different. It would be like the Wyatt and Gary's cousins, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I right? heard my cousin once made a woman. Exactly. Oh, actually, in, in the pilot episode of the TV show, actually, the Gary character, uh, he's like, I know this will work because I saw it in a John Hughes movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it would be yeah, it would be the same old same old. Like they would they would conjure up Kelly LeBrock, and she'd be there to be like, oh, here we go again, and you know, mm-hmm. and and teach them all the lessons about how to be cool, and then she would you know just uh, wander off into the sunset and and leave the cousins there, and they'd be like you know the kings of like the frat parties, and you know, oh yep. gosh, we sure love that Lisa. She taught us how to you know be human beings, I guess. <laughs> and again, <laughs> <laughs> she taught us how to party. Exactly. Um, and, and, and on a recent episode of uh, your other podcast, Count Creepyhead's Saturday Morning Monster Mash, mm-hmm. um, I believe it was uh, Josh, the other Josh Hibbert, who mentioned that a cool sequel to Weird Science would be like a gender swap, right? Where you have yeah. two female characters who then want to create like, you know, Mr. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that that could be fun, too. But it would kind of well, fall into that same category as like the cousins in college where it would just be the same story. Well, so, you know, that that would be the the current sequel. Uh, the current formula in Hollywood is the legacy sequel where mm-hmm. we go, aha, we're going to tell you the same movie, but it's going to be with younger, new, like f- modern characters. <laughs> and we're going to do a gender swap. <laughs> and it's like that's literally the Hollywood formula right now. Yeah, so, no, you're you're totally right. It, it would be they would ignore the other sequels and just do their own. <laughs> yep. I mean, I mean, look, it's you no. Know, granted, some some uh, franchises have done it right. I, I will argue that Scream definitely took it in the right direction with their legacy sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm I'm really excited for the next one because like as much as I I know I don't want to turn this into a, a Scream podcast here, but um, as much as I don't like the the reason that uh, Nev Campbell is isn't involved in the new movie uh, mm. because they, they wouldn't pay her what she is definitely fucking worth after doing all these fucking movies for him. Oh, uh, yeah. But they wouldn't pay her. So she was basically like, I'm out. Um, but I do think it's time to move on to a new cast because the last movie kind of set up the pins. It's like, all right, well, fucking knock it down now. Let's 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 move on with a new cast of characters. Yep. And you know, I'm a scream apologist. The only scream thing I didn't like was season three of the TV show. Everything else I've loved. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, but but very much in Hollywood right now, it, it is that formula. And a lot of times it don't work. It don't work good. <laughs> yeah but at, at the same time like i almost kind of want it now like at first i was like kind of dismissing the idea of like a gender swap like again it would just be kind of like the same movie but now that you mentioned like no no no, don't do it in the 80s do it now or even better it would be like in the 2010s you know right, like, right. <laughs> and now i really kind of want to see it at the same time yeah they were doing remakes of like friday the 13th and like nightmare on elm street and and uh it would be like, you know, the whatever hot, you know, young actresses were just coming out of the Disney Channel, you know, and they mm-hmm. and now they were like old enough and doing their like, you know, their edgy movie. Yeah. And it would you and you would get like, you know, Jerry and Winona who would, you know, like uh, they would make their <laughs> their big hunk of a man. <laughs> and, well, and and we, that, <laughs> oh, dude. OK, yeah. Oh, let's run with this for a second. So. So, yeah, it would be maybe it would be Gary and Wyatt's kids. So it'd be their yeah. daughters. <laughs> of course. Of course they will. And. 
And it would it would literally again we're doing the Hollywood stereotypes so that they would be the nerdy outcast, but really it's just because they have glasses and their hair is up in a in a messy bun instead of you know. <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> but, but like they would they would make the you know the hot hunky guy and it would be something like um oh my god why can't I think of it Colin Farrell it would be something like Colin <laughs> yeah. Farrell who would just be like getting up to hijinks and and like <laughs> teaching him how to be cool you know. And, uh, you know, he would basically, uh, you know, pick out, pick on the mean girls for them and stuff like that. And eventually mm-hmm. he would teach them to take off their glasses and pull down their hair. And suddenly they're the popular girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, the, you, you, knew, you knew the secret all along. The magic was inside you. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. It would, yeah, of course it would be like it would be because like uh, Gary would grow up to be some like hot shot, like day trader, you know, like uh, some kind of like, a smarmy businessman who's got a bunch of money in a big house in the suburbs of Shimmer, Illinois, but like doesn't really pay attention to his family that much. And then right. Wyatt, Wyatt would grow up and he would like do like this, uh, this, you know, startup tech company that gets bought out by some like, you know, mega giant. Suddenly he's worth like billions, you know, and, you know, he spends all of his time just like, you know, cruising the Internet for, you know, for like online hookups because his wife left him years ago when he used to work too much, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so, they, so these girls, you know, so Jerry and Winona, they, they live in these like, you know, big houses right next to each other in the suburbs and they're like these, you know, like pampered rich girls, but of course they're like, no boys like us. <laughs> We're so nerdy. <laughs> Damn my poor eyesight. I have to wear glasses. No boy will ever ask me to the prom. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't put my hair down. It must be in a messy bun. Oh my god! Because I'm artsy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. She would she would take out all of her teen angst by like throwing paint on a canvas in her her bedroom while wearing overalls and a flannel. Oh yeah. yeah, that would be that would be Wyatt, that would be Wyatt's daughter, who's like very much like I hate technology, you know. And then yep. she's like, it's all about art, and you're like, I don't even have like a TikTok, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or of course, exactly. this is the 2010s would be like, oh, I don't even have a Facebook page, you know. And then uh, Gary's daughter uh, would be, you know, she would be very much like vegan, like social justice warrior, you know, like mm-hmm. volunteering on the weekends, just very, very sort of like, you know poor as like a social concept you know <laughs> more of like, right you know like just basically like uh, like rich guilt you know <laughs> right <laughs> and we got to have one of them be like you know it's like you know i i don't need a man but if i did he would look like this and like yeah. play into those stereotypes well and that would be the, how the whole conversation starts at the beginning of the movie like we, we would meet these two you know sort of like uh you know boho outcasts on purpose you know who are right. they're so put upon by society but really they're just like rebelling against their rich daddies you know and <laughs> and you know of course they would get together one day and they'd be like you know oh you know or, or they would be in you know one of their houses like let's say they're in gary's house and of course gary's got like you know uh like posters or like playboy models in the garage or whatever and they would be like oh like the way that they objectify women is so disgusting which is true like i'm not saying but oh, yeah. of course Absolutely. they would kind of go they would kind of go off on this diatribe and that would be like oh like you don't see you know like we should just objectify men in the same way and see how they like it yeah like if right. i did that i would have a guy that looked like this and then they kind of kind of go on this they kind of go down this side trail of like hmm, are we really really talking about this and then before you know it, it like just they're like well you know it was just for fun like we could try you know <laughs> 
and then, and then they create their little man genie. Exactly. And of course, you know, he, he would, you know, uh, he would be like, just like Lisa, how she was like in the bathroom with like all the steam. And then she comes out in silhouette and like stands in the, in the doorway in her like little skippy underwear, you know, he would be like in the bathroom and they would like be peeking in <laughs> and they would like see him in the shower and you'd see his like silhouette. <laughs> His big silhouette, you know. I was, was going to say, he's, he's got a third leg hanging there, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, he, you know, he, like, comes out and he's like, oh, could you hand me a towel? <laughs> <laughs> and they're, like, trying to throw it at him without looking. You yeah. know? Like, avert your eyes. Don't look directly at it. I know. And they're like, and of course, it's kind of slapstick. So they'd be, like, tripping over each other and, you know, like, falling over the bed and trying to get out of the way. So we, <laughs> he's coming out of the bathroom with this, like, smirk on his face. Like, oh, you silly girls, you know. <laughs> And if oh one, one of them comes up from behind the bed like her glasses on upside down and you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god and yeah so like when they when he first takes them out on the town it'd be like oh we have to do something about those glasses and like you know just like blinks them and like she has contacts now or like immediately she's like blinking and she's like ow 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 you know like oh you'll get used to him <laughs> and he's like you know oh, do we got to do something about that hair and he just like magics the bobby pins out and her hair falls down like perfectly around like framing her face and, like, exactly. like suddenly she's beautiful exactly. and they're in like a convertible but like the wind isn't blowing it at all and like you know <laughs> some guy pulls up next to them at the red light and just does like a double take and then he like floors it into the intersection and gets in an accident you know like, yep oh <laughs> uh, those silly kids oh. Oh my God. And instead of like a blues club, it would be like some kind of like, you know, dance party kind of thing they would go to where like the record would skip and everyone would be looking at him like, huh? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. This is funny. See, we just did two movies. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, we, we, we did, we did weird science two in the eighties and weird science, the legacy sequel. <laughs> that was just called weird science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. It's just called weird science. <laughs> Oh man! This Although is the E in science is a three. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is exactly. <laughs> oh shit! That, that's, uh, actually, that's actually kind of perfect, you know? Yeah, because it's I know, a great right? movie. I love it. I'm actually really into that idea. It's that's perfect. <laughs> actually, if you put the word weird on top of the word science, they both have an E, then that those two E's could just be like one big three. Ah, there <laughs> like, you well, go. I want to design the logo now. <laughs> oh, my God. oh man! I, I did not expect this to take this turn, but you know, that's me good. neither. Yeah. Well, you know, the I actually kind of like the way, the way this went because I feel like the post-apocalyptic sequel, once you kind of have the setup, it kind of tells itself, and I think it did. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously it went to a strange place at the end because, of course, <laughs> we always go dark. But you know, and and then the remake is like again, you know, not not to nothing against Josh, but at first I was like, yeah, like that's kind of obvious. But wait a second. You know, let's, let's there's some fun to be had here. Yeah, for sure. I, so I definitely I, t- I take it back, Josh. I take it back. It was actually a really good idea. But again, you had to put it in the right time frame. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like with the the uh, post-apocalyptic sequel, the, honestly, for me, the, the trigger point or the ignition point was the fact that Lisa's magic was deteriorating. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, what would happen if she was deteriorating? And of course, that made me think of the old like. EC comic books. So I'm yep. glad you went on that. You went on the the kind of like little teaching lesson about EC and like its history, because it, it gives the listener like kind of the the, the proper uh, framing for where mm-hmm. we're both kind of coming from with this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, so. I think so too. Yeah, I told, and I wasn't even really thinking about that. I was just thinking about like you got to go dark with like part two, right? It's like the Empire Strikes Back, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and but yeah, but I'm yeah, I'm totally glad you noticed that because I, you're totally right. Like the the sort of like you know the karmic retribution that you get from these uh, EC style stories, whether it's Tales from the Crypt or Weird Science or any of them. I think William Games was a huge fan of like the the twist as a life lesson, right. you know, the the, the monk the monkey's paw. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the classic tale of the monkey's paw. Yeah, 100%. Um, so be, be careful what you wish for. Long story short, I, I definitely enjoyed where that where this ended up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe more John Hughes movies in the future, because that definitely is some problematic stuff. Ooh, dude, turn Uncle Buck into a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I love that one. I love that one. He's That's the pretty... crazy uncle come to visit. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. He seems so nice, but like Macaulay Culkin keeps seeing him do creepy stuff and he's like calling his mom and she's like, oh, honey, that's just your uncle. Like, and he's like, no, you don't understand. But he's like six. So like no one believes him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But I don't want to become the podcast that just turns everything into a horror movie. I know, right? <laughs> It is a fun challenge, but yeah, I was going to say we, we could do a, a Ferris Bueller movie where it's like they people literally have to save Ferris because his mom has that disorder where she thinks her child is sick and she's like making him be sick all the time. Oh, yeah. That Moonshouncing by proxy. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it. That's <laughs> oh, that's, dark. That's it. That, that is dark. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, oh man. my god. That'd be awesome. Yeah, there's so many opportunities for John Hughes movies. Like I always wanted to see more of like Judd Nelson's character from The Breakfast Club, like what happened after that Saturday, yeah. you know, like I think there's a lot of cool opportunities for like either sequels of like, you know, what they did later or hell, even like some prequels in some cases, you know, you could do like the, you know, the Wet Bandits prequel. <laughs> <laughs> How did Well, no, 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 the Wet Bandits prequel is just Chud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think we talked about that on the Chud episode. We're like, yeah. so wait a second. The guy, the the dad goes into witness protection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like, you know, Marv goes into witness protection too, but he blows all of his money, his government hush up money. Like, that's right. That's right. I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, he blows it all and becomes a thief. <laughs> See, we've already touched on the John Hughes universe. <laughs> See, it, it all comes full circle. Like, there's always those creepy horror elements. Oh, my God. But, you know, it's funny because, I mean, both of us, we, we came of age in the 90s. And that was a thing in the 90s. Like, everything was, like, dark. Like, the humor was dark. Like, even cartoons. Like, do you remember the fucking Tiny Toons, like, summer special where it's, like, <laughs> freaking Hampton's family pick up, like, a, a chainsaw-wielding maniac on the side of the road? Yeah. Was, like, like even our cartoons went dark back in the day. So like, I think it stands to reason that, that the two of us when writing stuff or coming up with ideas, we tend to lean into the darkness because we were kind of tempered with that growing up. You, know? you merely adopted the darkness. We were born into it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Fucking> exactly. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, I think that's perfect. <laughs> 
perfect place to stop. It's just awesome. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right. Anyone listening to this, if you want to hear us turn more of your 80s childhood classics into horror movies, we are we are all about it. We are here for you. And you can uh, find out more about this show at RaisedByRentals.com or anywhere on the social media at RaisedByRentals. We belong to the Brad Pantheon, a super team of podcasters, artists, musicians, you name it. It's an art collective of creative friends supporting each other and helping to spread the word about rad stuff. So if you like this show, there's a good chance that you'll dig one or more of the other Rad Pantheon teammates. So check out RadPantheon.com or, of course, Rad Pantheon on the social medias. One of my other projects is on there. It's Comics Boost. Just spell that with an X. Comics Boost on Instagram, where I spotlight crowdfunding campaigns for independent comic book projects. And what about you, Mike? Oh, well, The Boogeyman's Closet. It's a weekly horror movie uh, review podcast where we cover a different genre of horror each month and, um, you know, pick four movies from that genre. And then there is Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, where three grown man children talk about toys and bitch about pop culture. Always a good time. Always a good time. Thank you. Uh, And once again, yeah, check us out if uh, you want to hear more about this these types of shows where we turn something into a horror movie or take a horror movie and make it into something funny like we did with our <laughs> uh, our freddy versus jason remake uh yeah so you know check us out drop us a line uh leave a comment leave a podcast rating let us know what you think we should improv improve next time and with that i'm josh i'm mike and we have to return some videotapes <laughs> Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. What would you little maniacs like to do first? <laughs>